you can be up and running in days. We've made it very simple. And because it kind of looks and feels like a Google app, it's really, really easy to learn. And so when whether you are an individual or a business owner, this is really beneficial because what it means is your people will adopt it. And if your people adopt it, then all your data is centralized. And if your data is centralized, you have a much better pulse on the health of your business at any given time. And that's really what we all want with CRM. Carrie Shaw is the CEO of Copper, a customer relationship management platform that seamlessly integrates into your Google workspace. Carrie joined Copper in 2020, first as the chief marketing officer, and was later named the CEO. As happy customers of Copper, I'm excited for you to hear and learn from Carrie's entrepreneurial journey. Coming up, Carrie's advice for young entrepreneurs who are just starting out. You will hear how Carrie stays up to date on current marketing trends, the benefits of modern day marketing and testing. And finally, you will learn more about the benefits of a CRM that's right for your business. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must hear real life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done and what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Carrie, I am so excited to hear your whole background and story today. You are now the CEO and lead copper, which happens to be the CRM that we've been using at Entreprenista as we do everything on the Google suite here. But before we dive into all of your learnings leading this growing company, that I have to add is helping so many entrepreneurs. Can you share a bit about your background and career journey and what led you to this fast-growing company? It's so great to be here and thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for this conversation today. Uh, I have been in tech my whole career. I have a very twisty path that led me to where I am today. I started out my career at Microsoft right after I graduated from university and I was in product management and I was in product management designing software Mm. for many years. And then about 12 years ago, I had an opportunity to move into marketing and I took it and it was a risk at the time because I took a pay cut. I had to start over. It was a bit of a midlife career change. And within about three days, I said to myself, this is what I should have been doing all along. This is such a better fit for me. I'm so glad I did this. I wish I hadn't done it sooner. And I climbed the ranks in marketing for the next 12 years. And I worked at several startups, culminating in being the chief marketing officer at Quandle, which is a fintech company that was sold to NASDAQ in 2018, which was a very exciting outcome for all of us. And then shortly after that, and we can go into my origin story in a little bit because it's a good one. I joined Copper as the chief marketing officer there, and I did that for about two and a half years, a little more than two and a half years. And in December, I was appointed to the position of CEO, and here we are. Such an incredible journey and background. I have so many questions for you now. And as a marketer at heart, 
I have a lot of marketing questions, of course. And I know you have a lot of background and experience in marketing and a lot of our entrepreneurs and members of our community are, you know, working to figure out their marketing strategies right now. Before we dive into all of those tactics and strategies, when you had to make that pivotal choice to leave this career trajectory that you were on in product, in tech, to then pivot to get into marketing, how did you go about you know, weighing your options and making that decision at that point. Cause I feel like so many, so many people do have these opportunities that come about and it's so hard to figure out, like, do I go down that path? Do I not take that path? How did you figure it out? That's an excellent question. I think there were a couple of things that made it quite organic. It was quite an organic decision. The first was I was working for a small startup at the time and I was running product. And we got to the point where we were ready to launch our software and we had nobody to launch it. And so by default, that kind of felt, fell to me. It was a tiny little company and I was working with six developers, you know, four of whom were PhDs and really none of us had any go to market experience at all, but them even less than me. So it kind of organically fell to me. We put the software out there. It went well. We hired a couple of marketing people and then the startup got shut down. And for good reasons, and this was a long time ago, but it was, you know, it was not well funded. It was a a tiny little company. We just didn't have a lot of runway. Um, But our investors were the ones, there, there was a woman actually who had invested in the company who said, I may have another opportunity for you and it is in marketing. Are you interested? So I was already gonna be out of the job. I had already been thinking about the fact that I had plateaued in product management Mm. and I had kind of done about as much as I was going to do there. And I had been able to organically dip my toe into this world of marketing. So other than deciding that I I was okay taking about a 20% reduction in pay, it was actually a very easy decision. I Mm. felt like I had nothing to lose. I knew that if I didn't like it, I could always go back to product management. I could rely on my roots because I had very, very good training. And so I just took the leap. But what I will say is I am a risk taker. Mm. And so a decision like that may have been easy for me. It might not be as easy for somebody else. I also, at the time, I was not married. I had no kids. I really only had myself to look out for. So I wasn't risking other people's lives besides my own by doing it. But I have this philosophy, and and one of the questions that I had prepared for today uh, talks a lot about this, but I have this philosophy about, as best as possible, trying to leave it all out on the field, Mm -hmm. right? Take every opportunity that comes to you if you feel capable of taking it. Be bold. It's better to be bold, right? So in the end, it was actually a pretty easy decision, and it it really did pay off. Thank you for sharing that. You also mentioned that you should have always been in marketing and that you loved it so much when you made that transition. What is it about marketing that that you love so much? Marketing is equal parts art and science Mm -hmm. in my mind. And that is such a great fit for the way my brain works because I have this part of me that wants to be really creative and free-flowing and wants to tell stories. I really thought I was going to be a writer when I was a kid. I really did. But then I also have this really analytical part to my brain that seeks to understand what is content doing? How are things being received in the market? How are they being perceived in the market? What can we do to do better there? And marketing is this just beautiful, beautiful blend of both of those things. So as a marketer, whether I was 
engaging in, in highly creative work or engaging in highly analytical work, I was happy. I was so happy. In product management, what I'll say, you know, to be perfectly honest, what I will say is I loved the aspect of software design. I love the aspect of trying to design great software for end users. I did not like the inevitable tension between development and product teams and mm. sometimes between design and product teams. That was something that I just wasn't always super comfortable with. I was less technical as a product manager than a lot of product managers are today. So I felt like I was a little bit on the back foot there. And I just didn't enjoy having those conversations. Um, and so all of that went away when I went into marketing yeah. and all of a sudden the technical capabilities that I did have were a strength, not a weakness, you know? So I think just in general, it was just such a great thing for me. Well, you it sounds like you ended up where you were supposed to be and now onto new adventures being yes. the CEO of a company. And I'm, we're going to get into that in a few minutes because I want to hear about going from being a CMO to a CEO. But I have some more marketing questions because while I have you here, again, lots of our members are starting to build their businesses now and figuring out their marketing strategies. And of course, marketing has changed so much over the so past much. 10 yeah. years. I mean, even since we started our social media agency, you know, 11 years ago, we were just focused really on Facebook and Twitter. And that was the big focus on social. And now there's so many platforms, so many different advertising capabilities, different partnership opportunities. It's a whole, whole new world. And you've now, you know, grown up in the marketing world for the past 10 years. How do you or how have you stayed up to date on current trends, figured out what to test? How do you know what, what budgets to be testing with? Tell me all of your learnings, Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Even just in the 10 years that I've been in it, the landscape has changed incredibly. And, and it's not even just the advent of all the new platforms. It's the pace at which people are able to consume information from multiple places. And it's the competition. Mm -hmm. You know, there used to be 10 providers for every type of software. Now there's hundreds. So there's so much choice. It is increasingly, increasingly difficult to stand out among that choice, to capture the top spot in SEO, to get the bids in paid performance, to, you know, to be a presence on social media, don't get me started on Twitter and you know what's going on there right now. So it's really become increasingly, increasingly important to be multi-channel right from the get-go. There's mm -hmm. no such thing as single-channel marketing before. Whereas what we used to do is we used to say, well, here's how we're doing on Facebook and here's how we're doing on AdWords and here's how we're doing organically. And you could be doing really well in one of them and not so well in the other one. And that that might be okay, depending on what your targets were. Now you really have to spread yourself out across multiple platforms according to where you believe your prospects and customers to be. And the interesting, the sort of operative part of that sentence is where are your prospects and customers? Mm -hmm. What are their watering holes? Where do they hang out? But you can't just focus on one of them. You know, so we have social presence, but we invest a lot more, for example, in LinkedIn than we do in Facebook. Because we find more of our prospects there, and we really do. But that said, we have to be on Facebook also. You can't not have a presence on Facebook in this day and age. Absolutely. You can't not have a presence on Instagram, Twitter, you know, so on and so forth. So it is really about being smart, about being multi-channel, and about being smart at really honing in who that super specific audience of yours is and where they are. 
How do you determine when you're going to either bring on a new platform or channel or you're going to, you know, test advertising on a specific channel? How do you decide what budget you should test with and how long do you give it to see if something is performing? That's a great question. So we we do a combination of two things. One is we survey and we are fortunate in that we have a fairly large customer and prospect base. That's filled with people who are in the Google ecosystem, who have a need for CRM, who are small businesses, and we poll them to see where they're getting their content from. Mm -hmm. We do an annual survey every year. We do it in September or August or September. And we ask all of the questions to find out exactly where people are and what they are doing and what's generating value for them and what's not generating value for them. Directionally, that gives us an opportunity to figure out where we need to go. And then we do allocate budgets to testing. The budgets that we allocate are very small. One of the nice things about marketing in this day and age is that you can test things very cheaply now. Mm-hmm. It, that didn't used to be the case. It used to be really expensive to produce a video. Well, now you can go onto Canva yeah. and you can create your own video and you can have it up and running in a matter of days and you're not paying a lot of money to have it produced. And you can put that out there as a test. And then if you gain success, then you hire an agency to help yeah. you produce your next video. So I would say it's, you know, the portion of the budget that we allocate to testing is probably close to around 1% of our overall budget, mm-hmm. but it is enough for us to get some quick and dirty tests out there. Such great advice. And isn't Canva the best? It's it so is. good. It's right? so good. It's one of the most brilliant pieces of software that's been made in a long time. And it's another female CEO, which is just incredible. I think it's amazing. I can't remember life prior to Canva. And we are always talking about all of our favorite business tools, solutions, all of the things that are going to help each of us grow and scale our business more effectively and efficiently. And Copper, obviously, as we've talked about, is one of the tools that we've been using A lot of founders, when they are just getting started, don't even know what a CRM is. When we were Mm -hmm. starting Socialfly, I didn't know what a CRM was. Someone told us like, oh, you need a CRM to be tracking all of your leads. I was like, what? And then we started looking into different opportunities. And we found Copper, you know, actually in the early days of our first business, Socialfly, and have used it for many years and now at Entreprenista. But for those who may not know what a CRM is, can you share more about Copper and why? business owners should be using CRMs? Yes. And then I have a question for you. So CRM stands for Customer Relationship Management. It is the heartbeat. It's literally the heartbeat of any business that wants visibility, insight into the prospects and customers who are going to help them grow. Anybody who manages any kind of pipeline of either prospects or customers or both will benefit from a CRM and should use it to create a standard of organization, understanding, and visibility into all of the things that go into turning prospects into customers and making customers successful. I am curious, first of all, does that track with your understanding of CRM as you started to realize what it was and and how you see it? Yes, absolutely. And I can tell you again, in the in the early days of Socialfly, we and we've been on the Google suite for years, like we've always used Google in both of our businesses. And we were doing everything on, you know, Google Sheets and just keeping track of customers and conversations and Google Sheets. And 
while that's maybe fine when you're just starting out, it's not scalable and it's not going to help you be able to really build and grow the business and finding a tool, at least for me, that I am a, what I like to call an organized, I don't want to say like an organized, disorganized person, but kind of like, I know I need to be using these tools and I would tell myself I'd be going into the Google Sheets and updating it, but I wasn't. And I needed a tool that was going to just be easy enough for me that it was already there on my email and I could just click a button and it would be added and tracked. And then we could really, you know, forecast out the potential new business. We could see where we were in conversations and we couldn't do any of that before just being in Google Sheets. Right. Spreadsheets are very static. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're only ever as good as all of the work that you put into them. And what you want from your CRM is something that is highly synchronized with the communications tools that you're already using to dramatically reduce the level of data entry because nobody wants to spend their time doing data entry and it's not a good use of anybody's time. Definitely not. And for me, again, as someone in marketing and business development, using these like other very complicated, because we tested a lot of different CRMs and software, but using these other custom or complicated CRMs, like for me, like I, that's just, I'm not good at those things. Like I need things to be like really simple and really easy. So I actually use it and then can get value from it. And that's what we found when we started, started working with copper. And I know you were originally a customer of copper before you even started working there. Yeah. My origin story for copper is so funny. So I was a copper customer when I was at Quandle, the startup I was at prior to this. But not only was I a customer, I was a champion. And I had realized this is back in 2016, 2017 now, that the company needed a CRM, but I also had a lot of prior experience with Salesforce. I knew Salesforce was overbuilt for us. At the time, I wasn't interested in working with HubSpot because they really were sort of forcing you to do everything on their platform. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to take the approach of best of breed software for each of the things that we needed to do. So that was also off the table. And I looked at a few others and a lot of them looked like they were built in the 80s because they were. Mm -hmm. And it came down to copper and pipe drive. And we chose copper at the time for its ease of use and for its synchronization with Gmail. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now today with calendar at the time, it was just Gmail. And we loved it. We loved it. And I never had the problem of my salespeople didn't want to use their CRM. Mm -hmm. So they were keeping their own spreadsheets. And I never had the problem of our pipelines are completely out of date because nobody's in the software. It was just a thing of beauty. And the other thing that I remember very clearly was the day I realized the power of Copper's visibility. So we have the drawer in Copper, but then we also have the extension in Chrome. Mm -hmm. And being able to see the interactions with a specific prospect was magic to me because all of a sudden my team could see which of our marketing efforts were producing the highest quality leads. And then we could go back and we could double down on those leads. I had never had that level of visibility before. Mm. And so I was just over the moon about it. And in the meantime, on the other side of the house, our salespeople thought the world of it because they never had to enter any data. They just clicked a button, add to copper, and all of a sudden everything is synchronized and it's right there. So fast forward to very early 2020. Quandle got acquired in December of 2018. 
It was owned by NASDAQ throughout 2019. I stayed with the company in 2019, but I knew that it was going to be my last year there because I didn't really want to work for NASDAQ as much as I admire that company. Mm -hmm. I'm entrepreneurial through and through. I like small companies. I don't want to work for big companies. So I had had in my head a plan to leave for a very long time. And I submitted my resignation on March 1st of 2020. Oh my gosh. (laughs) A week later, we went to Mexico for a vacation. And while we were there, the whole world shut down. Did you get and we back? Had to scramble to get back. We got back. Canada was very good about that. We got back, and all of a sudden, I found myself with no job and a pandemic where you you weren't doing anything. You were sitting at home all day. And at the beginning of the pandemic, we didn't know anything. That meant I was doom scrolling all day. And my plan had been to take six months off. That had been my plan. And I turned to my husband after three weeks, and I said this is not the right time to do that. Like I need to be working right now. I need something to take my mind off the fact yeah. that the world is falling apart. Yeah. And at the same time, I got a call from a recruiter and I hop on the phone with her and she tells me about this opportunity. Oh, it's a great company. It's based in San Francisco, this, that, and the other thing. She said, it's in the CRM space. I said, oh, great. Who is it? She said, oh, I'm sure you've never heard of it. It's Copper. I said, <laughs> not only have I heard of it, I love it. It's just amazing. It's such a great app. And so I thought to myself, wow, this is a product I can really get behind. And I was thinking about it from a marketing standpoint at that time. And I was like, I, I would love to build this brand. I would love to have the opportunity to build this brand. So I started working there on April 15th of 2020. Wow. <laughs> I didn't meet anybody in person for, oh, I don't know, 18 months. My relationships were 100% digital. It was astonishing. But it was certainly great to it was certainly great to get into the company. Up next, the benefits Copper has seen as a remote first company and lessons you can apply to your business. What did you do to build your team remotely when you first got started? Ellie, you know, I think that interviewing and hiring remotely was not that challenging. I think you could get what you needed to get out of an interview over Zoom almost as well as you could do it in person. So I was able to hire. And it also proffered an advantage, which is that I was able to hire from anywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. I didn't have to uh I didn't have to limit myself to a certain geography. And I didn't. My team is highly distributed all over the US and Canada. And we also Copper has people in the UK as well. So that was actually a benefit. And I feel like I got some really good people. Building the team was a different story altogether. We really couldn't get together in person. And we did have to learn how to get to know each other digitally. And I will be very candid with you in that as far as digital relationships are concerned, I think we did the absolute best that we could. I think our relationships would be even stronger if we spent more time together face to face. I think you can only get to a certain point and then the rest just requires all the nonverbal cues, the time spent together, the impromptu conversations, all the kinds of things that we've lost with being remote. I totally agree with that. I mean, you can definitely do more faster and more efficiently remotely. And like we've done it too. We built our whole Entreprenista company remotely over the past couple of years, but there's 
nothing like being in person together. And we've done a few big entrepreneurista events over the past two years now. And when you're together with the team and you have that bonding and you really learn about each other, it then just makes that day-to-day working relationship even better. But I think we're, you know, so many companies are still staying remote now and, you know, working on a hybrid model or ways to meet up throughout the year. Have you found certain, you know, bonding events or certain forms of communication that work better than others? Yeah, I do think it works. So we are one of those companies that stayed remote. We gave up our office space. We are 100% distributed. We have no no plans to change that. And I will say that personally, I think the benefits of remote outweigh the costs. I do think we are productive. I think we have better access to talent. Uh, and I think we have more balanced lives, mm-hmm. all of us. You know, I, when I first became CEO, I did a, a what I call a listening tour where I met every group over Zoom and I asked them, tell me three things you love about copper three things you need to, you think we need to change about copper, what you most hope I will do and what you're most afraid I will do. And it was, it was very enlightening. And one of the things that came up was the remote culture and the schedule flexibility by and large favored by all people. But the other thing that came up was the transparency. So we really practice radical transparency Mm -hmm. at copper. And I think that is one of the keys to having a successful remote culture. And the other thing is trust. Right. And I think that you see a lot of companies who are forcing people back to work right now because they don't trust their employees to do the work. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. It's not remote. That's the problem. It's the lack of trust. That's the problem. And the, the, these people would feel more comfortable seeing everybody in person. We don't have that problem, but we do. Oh, and by the way, I am appalled by businesses who are installing tracking software to see how frequently their employees are online. I think that's terrible. And I also think that you do some of your best work when you're away from your computer. So how are you ever going to measure that? But totally. That's just a, another symptom of, of this problem of lack of trust. Yeah. Um, we have tried to accommodate for the in-person stuff. We have, uh, first of all, we have stipends and budgets for monthly coffees, lunches, renting a co-working space every once in a while. If you have a project you're working on, you need to spend a day or two together. We, while we are fully distributed, we do have groups that are concentrated. We have a lot of people in San Francisco. We have a lot of people in Toronto. We have a few people in Vancouver, a few people in New York. Um, and then we also have team offsites. So our teams, each of the departments meets one, once a year. And then we have comp, we have a once a year company offsite. And I find those things work. As far as like on a day to day front, we do our company is a big fan of games. Mm-hmm. So we do Jackbox games, we do trivia games, we do code names matches. There's an online version of code names that we play. And we probably do that about once every other week. And that's a really nice way to get together digitally. I find that when you just try to have like a meetup, oh, let's have a, you know, a coffee and a chat or a drink and a chat, that then you just get a bunch of silence. Um, on Zoom, right? Yeah. On Zoom. It's, it's awkward. Getting, <laughs> it's very awkward. And then you have one or two people who are desperately trying to keep the conversation going and it just doesn't work. Yes. But if you orient it around actually doing something, it yes. becomes a lot of fun. So we tend to orient it around games. And I feel like having all of those things together works well. We also have a few very critical meetings uh, that we really rely on to reinforce the transparency week after week after week. So we have an all hands playback every Friday. 
we have a monthly ask me anything with me where anybody from the company can get on and feel free to push as hard as they want on the burning questions that they have, which I then try to answer. And finally, we have um, just to sort of mitigate the the intensity of being online all the time. Mm -hmm. We have uh, every last week of the month is what we call deep think week. So we have no meetings unless they're customer meetings. And that gives everyone an opportunity to just get some, you know, really deep thinking done. So I think we make it work by and large. I personally love it. It's afforded me a much better balanced life, a much more balanced lifestyle and a much better life in general, I would say. I do miss some of the in-person get together and I find myself working hard to make sure I'm going for mm-hmm. coffees and drinks and dinners and meeting people face to face because I need to get out of that. Thank you for sharing all of this. And I'm so glad that our podcast is recorded because I wasn't taking actual notes because I'm engaged and listening in this conversation. But I am going to play a lot of this back and take notes and start doing some of these things that you have just shared because they are such, such great ideas. And to hear you also share the ideas and say that they're definitely working even better, which is why we have this podcast so everyone can learn from each other. Are there... Are there any things that you have tried that just didn't work and didn't hit the mark? Like I said, we we did try those like, you know, wine and cheese, you know, like everybody has, you know, their, their drink of choice and their snack of choice. And we try to get together at the end of the day just to have a chat. Those things don't work. Yeah. Partially it's hard because half of us are on the East Coast and half of us are on the West Coast. So Mm. when it's time for me to have a glass of wine, it's, it's not time for the people in San Francisco to have a glass of wine. But partially because I just find that without the structure, yeah. you know, the digital world just doesn't afford the type of ease of conversation that would totally. happen if you were at a restaurant. So we don't do that anymore. I will also say that the co-working, like renting the co-working spaces, I mean, they, they've become much more flexible. You can get a day pass for yeah. not a lot of money, $50 or whatever it is. Some people love it. And some people are just like, no way, not interested, didn't want to go to an office in the first place, definitely not going to go sit in a cubicle where I'm completely unfamiliar and surrounded by strangers, like not a chance. So we have the option available, but we didn't want to mandate anything. We didn't want to mandate any in-person gatherings. And we really wanted to let people control their own schedules. We're a small company. We're about 80 people. Okay. I have full, full faith that everyone is doing their best work. And so I don't sweat it very much. When you joined as CEO, or not joined, you were already the CMO, but when you became the CEO, were a lot of these different practices, policies, protocols already in place? Or was this all, a lot of what you formed based on, you know, your listening tour and hearing what the employees were asking for? I think the listening tour helped me double down on some things that were in place, but maybe not well advertised to the team and not properly taken advantage of. So I really tried to make those things more apparent and even better. One thing that I had found was one of the downsides of radical transparency is that sometimes the news can get a little negative. And I felt that we were over-focusing on uh, the numbers mm. and under focusing on all of the great work that was being accomplished that is going to generate long-term revenue for us, but you just don't see it in the month. And so I started sending out a little Slack reminder every Friday morning saying it's playback day, 
celebrate our wins. I want you to put your wins in playback and sort of slowly started ratcheting up the kind of exposure of all of this great work to more people. Because that's one of the other things that potentially gets lost is you have development implement like a massive technical upgrade. Nobody ever hears about it, Mm -hmm. right? You get an amazing customer success win where, you know, the customer throws you a free testimonial after because they're so happy with what you've done. No one hears about that. So we started surfacing those after the listening tour. And I think that's been very helpful. Tell me about going from being the CMO to getting tapped to then become the CEO of the company. So crazy. So crazy. I mean, the first thing I will tell you is I said, no, I said, I didn't want to do it at first. Earlier, I said, be bold, take every opportunity. And I said, no. And I said, no, because I love marketing. I love it. And I was really, really hesitant to give it up. And Our outgoing CEO, Dennis, who is still our chairman and still very involved in the business, is one of my favorite people in the world. Just been absolutely wonderful for me, for my career. I I think the world of him. And uh, I'm going to quote, I've been watching Daisy Jones in The Six. I don't know if you've been watching it. It's a really, really good show. I read the book too. And there's a line in it where somebody says, he saw a future for me that I couldn't even see for myself. And mm-hmm. that's what Dennis did for me. He said, he saw a future for me that I did not see for myself. I had thought I was going to finish out my career as a CMO. Maybe one day I'd go be a CMO for a bigger brand. That would be fine. I would ride off into the sunset, be very <laughs> happy with my career decisions. And then in talking to him through and through, I realized, I realized that, and this is my, my big advice is, I've got to leave it all out on the field. I have more of my career behind me than I do in front of me. And so to all the young people out there, I think I spend a lot of time right now thinking about what life will look like when I am old and gray and retired and, you know, don't need to work full time anymore. And how will I look back on my career? And will I be proud enough of what I've accomplished? Will I be proud of the things I tried? Will I be proud of the risks that I took? Or will I wish that I had done more? And in the end, I didn't want to wish that I had done more. I wanted to, to leave it out. I'll, I'll leave it all out on the field. And so I took it. And boy, did I ever, <laughs> did I ever leave it all out on the field? I mean, it, it is much harder. It is completely different. It is a, flurry of big decisions that you make every single day without having any perfect information. It requires a tremendous amount of emotional intelligence and the having the courage of your convictions and just being really bold and it's just become a completely different world for me. I mean, it's so different. What are some of the big day-to-day decisions that you're making right now that you weren't faced with when you were the CMO? Well, I, I mean, first of all, we had to weather the Silicon Valley banking crisis, right? So that's not something that I ever thought that I would do (laughs) as a CEO. And that came with making some big decisions about what our corporate banking strategy was going to be going forward. And when have I ever given a single thought to a corporate banking strategy as a CMO, right? Not for one second, I didn't even understand the structure of our accounts. So, you know, there was a big learning curve to come up there and a big set of decisions that needed to be made very, very quickly, again, with very imperfect information. 
And, you know, that maybe not on that scale, but those kinds of things come up a lot as a CEO. You are exposed to parts of the business that you just don't have to think about when you're in a specific department. There's a lot of headcount decisions that are made on a regular basis. There's a lot of HR decisions that need to be made on a very regular basis, a lot of policy decisions. We recently shored up some of our leave policies in Canada because they weren't as good as our leave policies were in the United States. You know, it's all kinds of stuff like that that I've never given a single thought to. It's quite funny. But the hardest part is sweating it, right? Because now you sweat everything about the business. When I was in marketing, I sweat demand, right? I ate, slept, and breathed demand generation because copper is 100% inbound-based, at least it was at that time. But now you take that and you multiply it across all aspects of the business. And all of a sudden, it's a a totally different kind of sweating. Yeah, I'm sure you must feel the same way. Oh, yes. I've been in it for a long time building these businesses and and don't know anything else. And it's not easy. You know, you're not only, like you said, responsible. You're responsible ultimately for all of the marketing and all of the business development and then all of your people and making all of these decisions. And it's really hard. It is not easy. And one of the reasons why we started our Entrepreneurial community was to bring all of these founders and CEOs together so we can all help each other and problem yeah. solve. Like when the you know Silicon Valley banking crisis happened, members of our community who were you know banking were able to talk and figure out what they were doing, get resources yeah. from other banks and providers. How did you handle it? That is so important. I have a community that I'm a member of through one of our investors. So all of their portfolio company founders and CEOs are part of the community. It sounds a lot like entrepreneurs. It's just there for us to be able to connect and talk to each other. And, you know, whether we're having problems, whether we're celebrating wins, whatever it is. So it was very, very, very active during that time. My VP of finance and I also leaned really heavily on our, our own networks. And anybody else who we knew who was in this position and reaching out and talking to them. And it was one of those moments in time where being a collective was way more important than being an individual. And you had to have a community to weather it. And I'm so glad I did, as I'm sure your members are so glad that they did as well. Absolutely. I remember we hopped, we hopped on a webinar, a, a group chat with um, some of the portfolio companies. And one of them was Madison Reed. Are you familiar with the hair care brand? Yes, yes. Yeah. So the CEO of Madison Reed was on and she, and I mean, they're a big company, right? They're a lot bigger than we are. So it was a much bigger deal to them. And making payroll was the thing everybody was concerned about at the time. But I was writing to her in chat. I was like, thank you so much for sharing your advice. And oh, by the way, I love your (laughs) start shipping to Canada. (laughs) She wrote back and she said, just let me know what you want. I'll send it to you. <laughs> so it's funny. just like this really nice moment because there's not a lot of women on this thing, right? Like, let's be honest here. It's yeah. mostly male CEOs still. So it was just a very nice moment with her. Oh, that's so nice. Well, yeah. we, we are setting to change that. More founders, yes. more women founders and CEOs yeah. and giving everyone access to all of the resources and community and connection and just making it a little bit easier because as you see, it is not easy. It is not easy and it needs more women. We need more women in these roles. We need we we need more balance in terms of the mix, unquestionably. So the work you guys are doing is so incredibly important. Coming up, Carrie's tactics and strategies to stand out in a crowded marketplace. 
Carrie, I'm going to ask you a few rapid fire questions. So the first word or words that come to your mind, are you ready? I'm ready. Describe yourself in three words. Intense, dynamic, warm. Coffee or tea? Coffee. What is the craziest thing that has ever happened to you in business? In business? Oh, I thought you were going to say personal. Uh, <laughs> Jeez. Craziest. I got to go with this SVB thing. I mean, that was completely out of left field, totally nuts. That was not on the bingo card. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not on the bingo card. Exactly. What is your favorite business tool that has helped you grow your business? Now we know copper. So copper number one as a business tool. What else has helped you? <laughs> as a CEO or as a CMO? Either. How about one for each now? <laughs> All right. Gosh, I am I'm so tough on other software sometimes. <laughs> so it's a little challenging for me to, to answer. I, I really do think I, from a CMO standpoint, Canva has changed the game. It's just changed the game. I mean, it's taken something that was accessible to a very small number of people before and really made it available to everybody, uh, which is amazing. Um, for me, uh, I know that I'm going to have the answer after and I'm going to kick myself for not having thought of it in time. Uh, certainly when Slack came out, mm -hmm. I would say that was a very big game changer for me big productivity boost. I almost never use email now and almost mm -hmm. all of my emails are external. I'm very curious to see where all of this AI stuff is going to go, but it has not changed a thing for me yet. I will say that. Final rapid fire question. Do you have a hidden talent? <laughs> yes, I do. I do. And there was a, I got, I got sucked into a morning rabbit hole the other day where they took me to this um, Merriam-Webster site where you could quiz yourself on, it was a, you know, like a bunch of pictures of these really esoteric things and you had to figure out what they were. And I didn't do very well on that. But then the next one was a spelling contest and I was off the charts. I mean, I, I might be in the top 1% of the whole world. Wow. I'm a great speller. Did you win spelling bees as a child growing up? No, never. <laughs> no, no. I'm just a voracious reader. I've been, I read every single day of my life and I think I took it in by osmosis. I love that. Well, no one's ever shared that as their hidden talent. So thank you. <laughs> All right. Back to our regular questions, Carrie. I would love to know how does copper stand out in this crazy crowded marketplace now? Yeah. I mean... Certainly, you couldn't really pick a much more competitive space than CRM. I mean, it is a massively competitive space, and it's also dominated by very large companies with very large budgets. So it really is a bit of a David and Goliath kind of thing, and we, we are not Goliath. We're David. And so that's challenging. Competitors have bigger budgets. They can spend us everywhere. So we really had to differentiate to win share. And the answers that I will give you will not surprise you because you know this yourself already. The first is the way we integrate with Google. Mm. So we have the tightest, most native Google integration. We have really strong partnerships with Google through their, we're the only recommended CRM in the Google Workspace marketplace. We're certified as a Chrome recommended partner. We were uh, Google Ventures invested in Copper. I mean, we've been working very closely with Google for our entire lives and we dedicate ourselves to making it as easy as possible for you to just work in the apps that you always work in and 
not to have to be in your CRM for very often. So it's a low work CRM. And then that leads to the second thing that I think really differentiates us, which is that it is, it's easy to launch and easy to use. You know, your time to value with copper is going to be much, much faster than with a lot of other bigger CRMs that will tout more features and charge you more money. Mm-hmm. You can be up and running in days. We've made it very simple. And because it kind of looks and feels like a Google app, it's really, really easy to learn. And so when whether you are an individual or a business owner, this is really beneficial because what it means is your people will adopt it. And if your people adopt it, then all your data is centralized. And if your data is centralized, you have a much better pulse on the health of your business at any given time. And that's really what we all want with CRM. That is so true. Software is only as good as people in your company actually utilizing and properly using the software. Otherwise, you spend money for things that go unused. And we've, you know, learned this growing multiple startups over the years as well. Like it's easy to sign up for something, but you have to get people on board actually using it. And Copper is the absolute easiest CRM to use. And we've tested and tried a lot. So we can absolutely (laughs) say that. (laughs) That's amazing. What are you most proud of that you've accomplished in your career? So, yeah, I think the chapter is not closed on copper yet. So I've got some more work to do there. But I'm very, very hopeful that, you know, down the line when I answer this question, it will be around copper. Because I think we really have done some wonderful things in terms of how we've approached building the brand. What I was most proud of myself up until I came to work for copper was the brand and category that we built while I was at Quandle. Mm. Right. So the bulk of the work that I did as the chief marketing officer there was to create the category that we played in because what we were doing was really greenfield. We were selling non-market data to hedge funds. It was very, very compelling. And it was a, it was a narrative that really lent itself well to some amazing PR, you know, PR that is not accessible to us as a CRM. And so we put ourselves on the map by saying, well, this is the category. It's called alternative data and we're the leaders in alternative data. And that was the bulk of the work that I did at Quandle. And I believe ultimately led to it's our successful sale to NASDAQ. And I'm very proud of that work. Very proud. At Copper and just sort of at large as a CMO, I love brand building and I love building specific types of brands that are extremely authentic, that aren't phony at all, that don't try to be something that they're not, but that have a polish to them and have a very strong opinion about their voice and their brand and their archetype and how they're helping people. And that is just, I think it's just some of the the, the most amazing work to do. And I, I love doing it over and over again. Well, it's so incredible all that you've accomplished in your career and the businesses that you are building and learning from you over the past hour has been incredible. And I have a lot of things I want to implement now based on what you shared. So (laughs) thank you, Carrie. And I know our community has learned a lot from you too. My final question for you, Carrie, what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. Being an entrepreneur gives you much more of an opportunity to be bold, right? And this tracks back to my philosophy, which is put it all out there, leave it on the field, take risks, do the big things, because 
even if they feel really overwhelming and really daunting right now, when you look back on them, you're going to be so glad you did them, right? You got to go through to get out. And one of the things that comes with that is also being able to move fast. Mm -hmm. I love to move fast. And when I was a kid, my teachers used to complain about that on my report cards. They would be like, Carrie rushes through her work and she would really benefit from slowing down and doing things a little bit more methodically. Like I just love to move. And uh, so to me, being an intrapreneista is just, it, it is in my DNA. I love to move fast. I'd rather make mistakes and correct them by iterating quickly. Mm -hmm. I, bureaucracy is a massive pet peeve of mine. I cannot stand waiting for approvals or signatures or what have you. And I think it just being an entrepreneur just really allows me to move at the pace that I am most comfortable with in life, which is fast. Well, I think I we, would work, we would slow. work very well together because I'm yeah. the same way. I'm like, let's go. My let's figure always, it out. <laughs> he, my husband, it's hilarious. We took our daughter to uh, Universal not too long ago. And I wanted to zip around and be in and out of the park in two hours. And he is happy to stay there with her for 12 hours going on rides over and over again. And I said, I can't do that. I, I can't do that. Like, that's going to kill me. And he said, you can't do anything for more than an hour. <laughs> so, it's in our DNA. And so yeah. it makes us who we are. Well, yeah, exactly. Carrie, yeah, thank fun. you again so much for sharing your journey and story. So excited to continue, continue to do lots of great things together with you and your incredible team at Copper. And thank you for building this incredible product that has really helped us in our business. Where can everyone find you, connect with you, follow you? Can you share all of your links and handles so everyone can find you? So I only have one because I, I don't invest in social media for myself. Uh, so the best place to find me is on LinkedIn. Just look me up, Carrie Shaw at Copper. I'll pop right up and you can connect with me there. I also wanted to say thank you to you, Steph, for inviting me to be on the podcast and also for being such a great customer. It is, it truly makes my day when I meet people who tell me that they're using copper day to day and it is making their work lives better. It, there's nothing that makes me happier. So I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. Oh, well, thank you. And for all of our listeners, if you want to try copper, you can head over to entrepreneurista.com forward slash copper. Of course, we have special offers for our community. So definitely go check it out. I'm Stephanie, and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entrepreneurista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entrepreneurstas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entrepreneurista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entrepreneurista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead. Mm -hmm.